0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Soundstage Access, a podcast that brings you in-depth to discuss many of the complex, beautiful, and creative sides of filmmaking. I'm your host, Brando Benetton, and my guest this week is Alice Wu, an Asian-American filmmaker whose story as a self-made film director is one to behold. The first movie, Saving Face, in 2004, tells a beautiful queer New York love story grounded in Asian-American culture that was based on Alice's own experience coming out to her mother. Her latest film, The Half of It, comes out on Netflix May 1st, and it's a beautiful story about a shy straight a student named Ellie who's hired by a classmate who needs help winning over a popular girl. Their new and unlikely friendship gets complicated when Ellie discovers she has feelings for the same girl. In today's episode, we talk with Alice about the importance of writing emotionally authentic stories, the unexpected path that led to her first feature being financed, how the 15 years between the two movies impacted her creative process, and much more. If you like to hear new content, hit that subscribe button to find all previous episodes from Soundstage Access. But now, without further ado, let's go to our conversation. Hi, Alice. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. I'm really excited. We're going to be diving into the half of it, but I just wanted to provide some context to listeners with the story of how your first film came to be, because I think it's important to talk about saving face in correlation to half of it. And what amazes me is that you began in computer science and then a creative writing class takes an idea for a novel and turns it into a film script. And I just wanted to talk about that period. My first quote for today, quote, I gave myself five years to make Saving Face. I moved to New York, worked for free on other people's shoots, trained as an editor, kind of cobbled together my own cheap version of film school. I never wanted to be a filmmaker, but because I was dying to tell the story, I realized how much I love directing, close quote. So... I think a lot of aspiring filmmakers love this idea of of the dream, connecting with producers and financiers. But what I'm curious to ask you about that period of your life is the experience and how that differed from the way you thought Saving Face was going to be financed and put together to the way it actually happened.
1: Oh, God, what a great question.
0: Honestly, I had
1: no expectations or understanding how a film was gonna get made. So I literally just was kind of flying by the seat of my pants. And in a way, I think that made the experience, I mean, let me be clear, anytime anyone tries to make a film, by the time they tell the story, all the sort of boring, exhausting, terrible parts get shunted off. And all you hear is the part where it's like, and then this happened, this happened, this happened, because I think we're storytellers. So we wanna draw dots between things. So it feels as though like, well, that makes perfect sense. And it kind of makes me seem a lot smarter than I actually am. I can absolutely assure you that I had no idea what was gonna happen. And having now been through it twice, I genuinely don't think anyone does in the beginning know for sure how their film is gonna get made, at least not on this sort of smaller indie level. Because these are films that basically come out of someone's passion, right? Like they have a deep desire to make it. And so what I would say to a filmmaker is that the one thing you can hang on to is that like, do you still love this thing? Right. And then from there, I think there's a way that like you, for me, I I got to New York and I was just taking information. I was working on people's shoots. I was hearing how they thought they were going to get their films made. Certainly, you know, different people have different paths that some people go out to a bunch of investors. I knew that was a terrible route for me because I even had friends from my old life who were like, we want to invest in your film. And I was like, absolutely do not do that. Like independent film is a horrible investment you will absolutely like first of all who thought saving face was going to get made 15 years ago like I even going into it knew this was a pipe dream right but that's the joy of something like when you're going after something like why go after a sure thing like go after the thing that burns in you that is going to be hard and with that I knew that the chances were I was going to fail so for me I I, I would be a terrible person to ask for money and I knew that my route was going to have to be getting interest from people who already did finance films. Because if they're going to finance films anyway, then heck, they should finance mine. And then from there, I I think I learned along the way that, you know, if you want to make a big... Film, you're going to need to do things like probably cast stars. You're going to need to do things like make more bankable compromises. And I wasn't willing to do any of those. So if you were to ask me, how is your film going to get financed? I don't think there was a moment, any step of the way, where I could have honestly answered you. I could only say, I'm just going to keep going until I find people who fall in love with this film the way I have and who are going to be willing to take a wild, you know, swing at me like a, as a first timer. And I was lucky enough to eventually meet some of those folks. I won a screenplay award contest. And one of the judges of that contest was a man named Teddy Z, who was the president of Overbrook, which is Will Smith's production company. And I think everyone in Hollywood assumed Saving Face was, you know, they thought it was like to prove I could write. And then their thought is like, oh, this sketch your foot in the door, you could write something else. And when they found out I wanted to make the film, I think they were all like, wow, that's ambitious. And I think with Teddy, he was like, you should become a Hollywood screenwriter. And I was like, well, I want to make this. And he was like, okay, well, good luck. But then, about like within a year, he ended up meeting some folks that I we were at the same event where he happened to meet the same people. You know, they were like, Oh, we're kind of looking for a small film. Teddy sent it to them. They were like, Great, it's a tiny budget, no one will get fired if this doesn't go anywhere. And that's how Will Smith ended up becoming one of my producers, actually. I was at Overbrook came on. Yeah. And then from there, certainly I was asked to make certain compromises and I I ended up being like, no, you know, like, can you turn the love interest white? And I was like, no, I don't want to do that. The moment I do that, this becomes a story about race. Like it becomes like your Chinese mother doesn't accept us as gay. Whereas I really want to tell a more nuanced story where in the Chinese American community, there were mothers that could accept it. And there were mothers who did not. And I weirdly think that makes that story more universal so these are all things along the way you know i couldn't have predicted although hilariously when i told that story immediately people were like that's an interesting way to get financed Win a screenplay award content like they like everybody wants to back and, and create the series of events and maybe but i feel like making a film is not really a recipe like i don't think there's a recipe to follow i think it's more like an exploratory jungle where you're out there But the thing you love and you just have to be open to what you're going to find. And if you feel like you're heading down the wrong path, then you just course correct. And I think that's that's what it is.
0: I also am interested as we transition into half of it, it was a screenplay that appeared on the blacklist in, in 2018, just cause we've got to keep things going. I just want to ask you, we finally get, you know, half of it off the ground and we're going to dive into the process of directing it. I always ask directors like, how do you manage your resources? You're not really swimming in an ocean of a budget. So how many days did you guys have to shoot the half of it? And what was your biggest creative fear stepping into filming? We had about 28 days. I mean, we
1: kind of lost a full day. So it was really end up being like 27 and a half days but it was fast. The half of it is a deceptively hard film to make. There's train scenes, there's car scenes, there's two football games. There, like, there's like, there were a bunch of things and things would happen where the night before we were due to shoot our football field, we lost the football field and we had to like, re-engineer everything. We'd lose locations right beforehand and all my carefully planned shot lists would have to go out the window because now it's a totally different configuration of location. But I am a hyper preparer. So in answer to your question of how do I manage budget, I generally trust my producers when they tell me there's not enough money. On both my films, I actually came in by the time we finished shooting, I came in under budget on both my films so that there was money for post. I don't know if it's because I'm a Chinese immigrant, but I'm extremely frugal. Also, I love efficiency. So anything as inefficient drives me crazy. And so the way to handle that in like a creative world I mean, the irony is I'm also an improviser, which uses the exact opposite. Like in improv, you don't want to plan. You want to be sort of ready and present, right? But I think those two qualities were helpful to me as a director i'm not a fan of just being like we'll just find it on the day it's not a thing i will ever say like i think about everything i plan everything but not because i think when i step on set that we're going to execute that plan like beat by beat by beat because i understand that to stay on track i'm going to have to have a plan but then i also have a plan b in my head and i also have a plan c so invariably plan a goes out the window we don't have enough time it's like all right you don't have five shots you have two shots What are those two shots going to be like? Oh, this has changed now. The sun has like come out. The lighting is terrible. We can't handle it. Now we have to do this. Like I think that kind of pivoting happens for me because in the hyper planning, I now know what is important. So I guess I tend to encourage that. And I think it keeps, at least for me, it keeps me sort of facile and mobile on the day of, because I feel like there's really nothing I have not thought about at this point. So when things catch me off guard, I have room in my brain to think about it because I feel like everything else I've already thought through. The good thing about being different in a town like this is that no one expects you to be like them. I'm 17. I live in Squamish with my dad. I run a business, writing essays for people. I guess I just never thought I'd
0: need anyone else. Hey, hold up. Ten dollars for three pages. No, I'm not trying to cheat. What's this? A letter. Maybe you can make me sound smart. Dear Aster Flores, I'm in love with you. (sighs) These hallways are murder. I am LD you.
1: Yeah, I know. You want a letter about love? I'll write
0: you a letter about love the script goes on blacklist in 2018 what was the process like between 2005 and 2018 in regards to when did the half of it enter your conscious in regards to this should be our next project oh i never think this
1: should be my next project because i don't i think the thing i've discovered about myself is like with saving face i didn't go into making saving face thinking i want to become a filmmaker Right. I went into it thinking I wrote this thing for my mom. I would really love to make it and I really want to make it on my terms. Nobody is going to make this film on my terms. So if that's going to happen, it's going to have to be me. So I'm just have to figure out what that's going to take. And I think in the back of my head, I knew the chances of it getting made were so small that there was no point in thinking about what happened after. So once it was made, there was this weird moment where everyone was like, what's next? And I was completely a deer in headlights, like I I didn't know. So I was just sort of responding to what the market was sending me. And I was only picking projects that I was genuinely interested in, but that is different than something that comes from yourself that you have a deep love for. But I will say the few years after Saving Face, I was always busy working, sort of writing for hire. Basically, the long story short, is, you probably know, I, I 10 years ago, I, I had to drop everything to move to San Francisco to take care of my mom because of some health issues. And in that process, I eventually thought i have left the industry. So for like a good seven years, I did no writing at all. But what I was doing was in spending time with my family and getting... like. It was a very rich period of time, right? And I think one thing I realized, well, back when you ask where when the half of it entered my consciousness, like I'd had a few ideas that were every now and then would float in and out, but I was never writing. And the half of it is probably an idea that I probably had like eight or nine years ago. But even earlier, like I write from a very emotional place, like saving face for me was really about a woman trying to have both romantic love and her family like a queer woman, and I just never got to see that. But it's really about a mother-daughter relationship, and it's really a mother-daughter romantic comedy. And the half of it for me stemmed from like an early, you know, when I first came out as gay, and I had my best friend as a straight guy, and really trying to think of the nuances of that relationship. You know, if you meet someone who's like your soulmate, but you have no interest in having sex with them, what is that relationship, right? And somewhere in there, I was trying to deal with the nuances of that and what that said about love, but it was always kind of in the background. And then maybe our eight or nine years ago, it occurred to me, like I kind of a story started to come to me, but I never really put it down, it was just nebulous. And it wasn't until about three years ago when I got pulled back into the industry to write a script for uh, DreamWorks Animation, actually, after not writing at all, <laughs> and, and I think, That was such a good experience that it kind of got my mojo back. That was when I was like, well, what is the thing I'm most interested in right now? And that that story never left me, this idea, the half of it, which a couple of times I pulled out in the 10 years and thought, what could this be? And after like maybe a few hours, I'd be like, I I can't write. And I'd throw it away again, right? And I guess there was something about, you know, maybe after writing again for someone else, there was just this awareness that I was at a crossroads where they asked me, great, this went well, we want to hire you for something else. And I was suddenly like, if I'm going to apply myself, I don't need the money. So why am I not applying myself on something that matters? And if I'm super honest, the few years after Saving Face, they were fun, but I was a little lost because I was really writing more out of my ego. I was writing more out of a place of what is my career as a filmmaker going to look like? And I think for me that that is kind of a deadly place to write from. If I'm thinking, what will this do for my career? It clutters my brain in a way that I think it doesn't really allow the characters to become what they need to be. And I think having that break made me have a stronger sense of who I was as a person. And coming back now with the half of, again, when I wrote it, it was before Hollywood had discovered diversity in such a intense way. So I thought if this thing gets made at all, which it probably won't, it'll take another five years to make. So it was a little bit of a shock when I'd finished my second draft. I didn't even know anyone. I sent it out to just like a couple friends I used to know. They sent it around. And within a few months I had interest and I had three different financing possibilities. It just felt like things happened so fast. Like they happened so fast, I didn't have any time to question it. And so this was the exact opposite experience of Saving Face. Except that when people are like, wow, that happened fast, I'm like, you know, I wouldn't discount the eight years before that, that I was technically not writing, but I was sort of living my life and maybe trying to understand myself better, you know, as a human, which helps you as a a writer. Because I now actually, this time around, I have three other things of my own that... Hopefully I'll be the right one in a way that I fall in love with it. But I understand myself better now as a filmmaker. And I think I know what are the kind of things that, that make me fall in love. And if I'm lucky, one of those things will be
0: created in a way that, that I'll want to make it again. And if not, then, then I won't. My last question for you today regards the legacy and the work to come. I'm going to give you one quote from 2005. This is about a week after Saving Face has come out. Quote, I feel like it's important to keep learning. For the next project, I always want to pick something I really love to further myself. I finally found something I love to do. Close quote. So I wonder, you know, if you had to go back and give 2005 Alice one piece of advice, what would that be? And just in general, you kind of touched on it just a second ago, but what has the conversation been like with yourself in regards to the work you have produced and the work you're still looking to produce? Oh God, what a great question.
1: What's really funny about this is just the other day I was having a conversation with another artist who was saying how uncomfortable she was, like being, you know, sheltered in place was so uncomfortable. And she was wondering what this was going to do to her work because she's already gotten to a comfortable place. And I was saying, isn't that great though? Because it does not fun necessarily, but I think that's where the really interesting work comes out. Because right? if I were to do another thing that I'm comfortable, like right now I'm getting every YA romantic comedy thing you could imagine. And I love YA and romantic comedy, but for me, I, I'm not looking to be like, let me just churn out more stuff. Like I want to find something that I'm like, wow, I really understand what I can bring to this and why this will be unique and stand on its own. If I were to go back to 2005 me, you know, I don't really know that I would have done anything differently for this reason. I don't think the industry was ready then for me to go. And I want to do this other thing. Like maybe, I mean, I guess we'll never know, but I don't think it was bad that I got an experience of writing for hire because I think everything, I mean, I still have friends then from people that i worked with and I, I had a little bit more understanding of how Hollywood worked, which I don't think is a bad thing. But also I think the thing. I would have told myself is to not worry about the fact that it didn't feel the same as making saving face. Like I would have just told myself, like, yeah, you're experiencing this different thing. And the thing I was very glad of is that when when something very important happened with my family, I was glad that I was in a situation where I could drop everything and move and take care of my mom. You know, a lot of people aren't, and it also helped me know, oh, these are my values. Okay, my family's always going to come first, right? And that journey, I think, was all necessary for me to become the filmmaker I am now. And I guess in terms of when you say what I would like for moving forward, I mean, it's funny because literally of the three things, all three are slight departures from the two things that I've done. And yet they're also very me. (laughs) Like, but I think that's the thing I would love is if I were to make another thing you know, because I don't think people would watch Saving Face and immediately be like, yes, the next thing she's going to do is a movie of teenagers, right? Like, like in the half of it is a different sort of movie. Like I think Saving Face is very much like I'm trying to make the biggest romantic comedy I can on a tiny budget with all Chinese American faces. But the half of it isn't. It's a, like a little more naturalistic. It's a coming of age. It hints at as if it's going to be a romantic comedy, but then it kind of does this kind of a little bit of a subversive switcheroo in the middle. And I think you can see a similar DNA, but they're still different movies. And I, I feel like of the three things, the thing I picked to work on right now is yet another thing where I think people are like, whoa, that's not what we would have expected. And then they'd be like, oh, yeah, but it makes sense. I guess my hope is that I can keep making movies like that.
0: Alice, you've been so generous with your time. It was such a pleasure watching the movie. For anyone out there, it comes out on May 1st on Netflix. Thank you so much. And again, best of luck with everything. Thank you. Brandon, you're an amazing interviewer. Thank
1: you so much. You really, your research was amazing. Thank you.
0: And there you have it, folks. Thank you to Alice for spending time with us and to Eric Boss for doing such a great job mixing these episodes. You can stream to half of it on Netflix starting May 1st. If you enjoy your program, please help us by taking a moment to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Send your favorite episode to a friend to help fellow cinephiles and new listeners find the show. I'm Brando Benetton, and you've been listening to Soundstage Access.